All right, so we are five weeks into a series titled, Who is God? This is an important series for a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, there is nothing more important than knowing God. That's what God himself says, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me. Nothing more important in life than knowing God. A.W. Tozer says that uh, by some law of the universe, we, we move toward our picture of God. In other words, who we think God is affects who we become. Very, very important. Secondly, left to ourselves, we will ne- never come to a correct understanding of God. We always make God in our own image. But the problem is God is wholly other. And so left to ourselves, we will create some kind of a distorted picture of God. And so fundamental to this uh, topic is humility. We have to come in a posture of humility saying, God, I'm going to let you speak for yourself. I'm going to let you define for me who you are. And praise God, he has revealed himself to us through the scriptures, and ultimately in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. And so during this series, we're going to the Bible. What what does God say about who he is? And then finally, uh, this is an important uh, topic because God wants to have a relationship with us. And like any person, the better we get to know them for who they really are, the deeper our relationship. And so we want to understand Remember in Jeremiah 9, he says that that you understand and know me. You have to understand who God is so that your knowledge of him, your relationship with him can go deeper. And so I'm I'm wanting you to get the most out of this series, which uh, benefits by coming to church regularly, uh, getting in a small group. Many of our our journey group, many of our journey groups are discussing the sermon topic during the week. And... um, and then if you've got that book by Chip Ingram called The Real God, I encourage you to read that. He, does a, he just does a great job uh, with this question of who is God. All right, today's topic, holiness. And if you like to fill in the blanks, if you're that kind of a learner, Bulletin has some blanks. Who is God? Let me start with the definition. Holiness is whatever God is. Holiness is whatever God is. See, there is not some holiness standard in the universe uh, to which God conforms. And so we say, hey, look, there's a holiness standard, and God matches it in most or all ways. Therefore, God is holy. No, God is the standard of holiness. This is so important to understand. Whatever, uh, A.W. Tozer puts it this way, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God is holy. Whatever he does is holy. Whatever he says is holy. Now, the unregenerate mind often bristles at God's behavior and his commands and, and his moral judgments. Uh, give me, let me give you an example. Richard Dawkins, he is a, a, an atheistic apologist, which means he goes beyond saying, I don't believe there's a God, to trying to convince other people there is no God. Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion, and in that he writes this about the God of the Bible. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character 
in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capricious, malevolent bully. I hope you understand what he's done, though. He, he has just inverted the creature-creator relationship. So Richard Dawkins is saying, I determine what's holy. And so he's looking at God, at God's behavior, his commands, his values, and he's saying, that's unholy. And that is a complete reversal of the way it really is. God is holy, we are not. And we've got to understand that we live in a culture that is increasingly unholy. And it seeps into us without us trying, right? We are just, we live in this stew, this moral stew, and the values of the culture seep into us. And so we should not be surprised when we open the Word of God and we begin to read about God's behavior and we read about His, his uh, teachings and we see his values that sometimes they're going to be so out of sync with what we are, uh, the society around us, that, that we bristle, right? And we're like, what? How can that be holy? How can that be right? How can that be good? But what humility says is, God is the standard of holiness. And so I'm going to do the hard mental work of asking, why is that good? Why is that right? Why is that true? And I'm going to let God start to shape, shape me. I'll let him be the standard, and I'll begin to conform myself rather than ask God to conform to my standard of holiness, which, which is what human pride tries to do, right? So God is holy. Second thing I want to point out is that, and this might be the most important thing you hear today, holy is healthy. Holy is healthy. The creator has designed his creation so that it flourishes when it conforms to his will, when it reflects his nature and his values. And, and this applies at a global level, but it also applies at an individual level. So that I am healthiest when I am uh, patterning my life after God, which to, to make very concrete, is when I am becoming more and more like Jesus, who is God in the flesh, right? And so when I pattern my life, more, the more that I pattern my life after the example of Jesus and after the teachings of Jesus, the more holy I become, the healthier I become. My mind becomes healthier, my spirit becomes healthier, my relationships become healthier, my body becomes healthier. Holy is healthy. Holy is healthy. And the opposite of holy is sin. And what does the Bible say about sin? Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. James chapter 1, verse 16. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The opposite of holy is sin. And sin corrupts, sin destroys, and the end result of sin is always death. And so the older, the older I get, the longer that I follow Christ, the more uh, 
fearful I am of sin. Not because I fear for God's judgment upon my life. Uh, I don't feel fear hell. I know that I am forgiven. But I fear the natural consequences of sin. I know that when I allow sin to have any sway in my life, it brings death. It brings consequences. And I fear that. I don't want that. Because holy is healthy. And so the fact of the matter is, uh, there, there could be more health in our life if we would pursue holiness with more intentionality and more vigor. And, and, and may I dare say that there is, uh, there is brokenness in your life, there is disease in your life, because you're tolerating sin. That's the case with me. Now, when the Spirit of God makes me aware of it, uh, then I say, Spirit of God, help me. I don't want this in my life, because I know it's, it's damaging me. Holy is healthy, and there's more health to be had. And the Spirit of God wants to help us grow in holiness. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a moment. So that leads me to this point. Uh, God's judgment is always restorative. God will judge uh, sin. And here's why. Because it's destroying his creation. And so just like a, a parent will seek to destroy the leukemia when it gets a hold of, of the child, so God will seek to destroy that which is destroying us. And so God always judges sin. Now, we know that there is coming a, a, a time in which Christ will judge sin once and for all, and it will be taken out of our existence, right? It'll be gone forever, and we, we look forward to that day and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, but there have been times when God has, for, for the health of humanity, God has broken in and judged uh, sin. And so we think about the time of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament when they stole from the church. And the Bible says God does that in the life of every Christian. He judges uh, the Christian. The Bible says if it's a Christian, it, the word is discipline. God disciplines us. But what he's doing is he's judging the sin in our lives so to restore us back to health. And I uh, have here a picture of a um, forest fire. Sometimes the forest service will intentionally burn down uh, an old growth forest in order to uh, restore it to health because it's become unhealthy. And so God will, God will judge us uh, in order to purge the sin from our lives. So let me read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Skipping to 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Your heavenly Father, who wants you to be healthy, will often confront the sin in your life in order to restore you back to health. And that's not pleasant, right? When the discipline of the Lord comes, it's not pleasant. Uh, but it is beneficial. And so that's why David said, uh, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David had come to conclude, health, uh, holy is healthy. And so he said, God, 
you know, if there is a sin in my life that's interrupting my spiritual health, would you point it out to me? And then by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to overcome this. And that should be our prayer. So as you read the Scriptures and you encounter God's judgment, you're reading through the Scripture and you see God judging, always be looking for the restorative purpose of that judgment. It's always there. And often that's the key to understanding its goodness. It's a, the restorative purpose uh, of God's judgment. Final point. God shares his holiness with us. This is amazing. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. And then he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to do that. God shares his holiness with us. Uh, right there in that Hebrews 12, I skipped over this verse, but uh, in verse 10 it says, For they, earthly fathers, for earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God shares his holiness with us in three ways. I'm going to give you these uh, theological terms. Number one is justification. Justification happens at the moment we repent of our sins and place our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a once-for-all uh, sharing. And our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west, and the Spirit of the, God, of the living God comes to indwell us, and we, by faith, are united with Jesus Christ. And because we are united with Christ, we share Christ's righteousness. And so that from that point on, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, and Jesus is perfection rather than our uh, imperfection. All right? And so justification begins at conversion, and it lasts forever. The, the second term is sanctification. And sanctification begins at justification, and it ends at death. And it, but it's a lifelong process of becoming, in practice, what we are, in reality, holy. If you become a follower of Christ at the age of 25, for 25 years, you've learned how to navigate cr uh, life apart from faith. You've learned how to, uh, how to handle your, how to pursue your desires. You've learned how to respond to conflict. You've, you've learned how to respond to, to fear. You've learned how to manage your relationships, all apart from faith in, in Jesus Christ. And now you become a Christian. That doesn't change instantaneously, does it? It's a process. And the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say that you need to work to be saved. It's saying you've been saved, now work it out in your life. Make it practical. And so sanctification, the key of sanctification is a trajectory, right? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Am I growing in holiness? Am I being sanctified? It's always accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit, but our will plays a big role. First Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith the virtues. And so the fact of the matter is, uh, the, the sanctification trajectory of, 
all Christians is not the same. Some people grow in Christ-likeness very rapidly. Why? Because they are partnering intentionally and fervently with the Spirit of God to become holy. And others are apathetic, and so they're, you know, they're, they're, maybe it's going upwards. <laughs> but you're like, you've been a Christian for how long? I would have never known it, right? We've met those people, and that's a sad place. Why? Because holy is healthy. And so you want to grow in holiness because you're growing in health. And it, it, you're blessed. You're blessed as a result. And so you've got to ask yourself, what's your trajectory? Are you making every effort? Or are you being casual and letting sin reign in your mortal body? Final word is glorification. And glorification happens when we die or when Christ returns, whichever comes first. Glorification, at glorification, the principle of sin is removed from our lives and from our existence, and then we become, in our behavior, uh, perfectly holy, and that's our state for eternity. And we look forward to that, because wrestling with temptation and wrestling with sin is exhausting, right? And we're tired of the brokenness that's within our lives. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In conclusion, I want to give uh, three practical, um, practical ideas for, or kind of keys for growing in holiness. Because uh, that's, that's sort of where we are, right? Um, how do we become uh, in practice, in our conduct, more like our God? How do we grow in holiness, in Christ-likeness? Well, number one, it, it starts with a commitment. You've got to make a commitment to be holy. And I tell you, that commitment is linked to your belief in, in holy is, is healthy. The more that you are convinced that I am better off by becoming like Jesus, uh, the more you are going to be committed to being holy. But it starts with a commitment. Um, the, and then it moves on to the, the second key is renew your mind daily with the word of God. This is very important. Multiple ways you can do this. Uh, hey, listen to the sermons. Listening to the Word of God preached. That's great. Well done. Uh, reading the Bible. Listening to the Bible uh, online in, in music, right? Scripture being sung. A lot of, lot of ways you can. Uh, talking to other people about the truths of God's Word. But in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, we are told, um, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You are being, I am being conformed to the thinking of this world unless I am being transformed by the word of God. So it's very important that on a daily basis we are uh, engaging with God's word and letting it transform our thinking. And then finally, obey Jesus' teachings until they become second nature. Obey Jesus' teachings until they become second nature. Um, Whether or not you understand why they're good for you. Because oftentimes you won't until you begin to practice them and you begin to experience their uh, life-giving effect in your life. But by faith you say, I believe that, uh, that what God tells me is good for me and I'm going to. And, and so, second nature, it becomes habit. 
growing in sanctification is often, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, godliness becoming habitual. And so let's take, for example, you have managed uh, life with lying. And so when you find yourself in a tight spot, when you want something, you know, when you want something to go a certain way, you have, you have a pattern in your life where you lie. And boy, it's effective, otherwise you wouldn't do it, right? And so now, you're, now you become a follower of Christ and you're convicted because it says, thou shalt not lie. And you're like, how in the world am I going to manage life without lying? But, but you discipline yourself. And early on, it is unbelievably hard. Oh, I can't lie, right? Uh, but you do it for a week. And, and, it, and it's working. And you do it for a month. And you do it for six months. And you do it for a year. And then what happens? Eventually, it becomes habitual to where you're thinking, Lying isn't where my mind goes when I find myself in a bind. And this plays itself out in, in all these different areas of holiness, whether it's alcohol, right? So you've got a pattern of you, when you're stressed out, uh, you, you go to alcohol to feel comfort, uh, and, and now you're trying to cut that out of your life. Well, eventually, early on it's really difficult, but eventually it becomes habitual. It becomes second nature. Uh, and so if you have grown up a Christian, and you're at such an advantage. When I, I grew up as a, a Christian, grew up in the church, a Christian school, and Christian family. And so there were, there were a lot of these ungodly habits I just didn't form because they weren't allowed. Got spanked, right? Uh, but <laughs> it's a blessing. The older I get, I realize what a blessing that there are a lot of these patterns that I don't have to relearn. And so if you, you know, that's a privilege if you've had that in your life. But the Spirit of God can help you uh, break any habit and form new ones that are holy habits and lead to 